never forget why you are the church. Amen and amen. Get all this fixed up. If you're happy in the Lord, say amen. 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 It is, I want you to know, only about Jesus. And if we make it anything else other than Jesus, then we have made it the wrong thing. Amen. Uh, I don't know if many of you know, but if you've been here any amount of time, or at least if you've been here at least a year, uh, you know that typically on this Sunday night, I will preach uh, the message that I preached when I first got here. Um, it was the Sunday night after Thanksgiving in 2016. Um, they came, a few came and heard me preach at Hillcrest, uh, and they said, hey, we want you to come and fill. And so I had two messages that I would circulate to the churches that would invite me. I had stand up in the battle, and I had comfort in comfortless times. And I want you to know that both of those messages still apply today. And uh, because, listen, if you are looking for comfort anywhere but the comforter, you are going to be comfortless. Amen? Uh, this world has nothing to offer us uh, except misery and sin and emptiness. Uh, but I chose to, instead. as a matter of fact, I think the next Sunday, or the next time I preached, I preached comfort in comfortless times. I told you, when I first started, I was singing with the quartet, and then, you know, the quartet would try to get it to where I'd preach after we sang, and I just kind of, you know, went back and forth with these messages. I have a lot more messages under my belt uh, now, but it is always good to go back uh, to when God first started what he began. And this is actually my notes. Uh, I left a uh, cough drop on it on accident, so you see that big old stain right there. Um, it, it was different, so I went like this, and through the years, I, I made some, like right here, it says George story. I have no idea what the George story is, you know what I'm saying? That might have been the first time I preached that I forgot about it, um, but, but I went through it, and man, I was going to preach it, and, and again, you know, we're going to be finishing up men and women's discipleship class tonight, so I thought I'm not going to, you know, they've studied, I'm not going to hinder that, so I'll bring it on Sunday morning, and then I got to looking at it. And uh, reading through it, and it's still good. You could definitely tell that I was a first-time preacher because uh, I said a lot of cliche things. I still say those kind of things, but there's a lot of them in here. And uh, so I got to thinking, you know, to stand up in the battle is still very necessary. And so I looked over the Scripture again and again and again. I was thinking, you know what, I'm just going to do it. So I have an updated, revised version of stand up in the battle. When you hear the word battle, if you would just go ahead and turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6, I was hoping to hear some people already turning there because they've heard this. This is probably the seventh time. Uh, but again, it's revised, it's updated, so it's going to be a little bit different this morning. But Ephesians chapter 6, Ephesians chapter 6, I'll get there too. I love when I ask y'all to get somewhere and then I forget to turn there myself. Amen? That's just kind of how it works. But when you hear the word battle... You don't have to answer out loud, out loud, but what comes to mind? Maybe you are a history buff and you know all about the major battles this country has fought. You, you know how many people died. You know which side won. You know which guns they used. You know all the things about that battle. You know who was leading the battle at that time, who was in control, who was in command. You're a history buff. So when you think battle, you think of battles of old. 
Or maybe you love war movies, so instantly you think of that intense battle scene that you have once watched. You could be super spiritual this morning and think of worship songs like The Battle Belongs or uh, This Is How I Fight My Battles or The Battle Is Already Won, right? These are all good things. Or you're even more spiritual and think of all the battles the nation of Israel fought in the Old Testament. By the way, in case you are living under a rock, Israel is fighting battles right now. That is happening right now. But let's dig deeper. When I mention the word battle, maybe you think of your marriage. Maybe you think of your children. Maybe you think of your home life. Maybe you think of your job or your friendships. I just want to be transparent with you this morning because I don't know how else to be. I was sitting in my office and, and I was getting that feeling of, of just... You know, I didn't want to do what I was about to do. Does that make sense? Like I was kind of wanting, it's very rare. I can maybe count on one hand how many times before Sunday I sat in my office thinking, I just want to go home. <laughs> I don't even want to do, I don't, it's too much. You know, you come in and everything's broken. I don't know why everything is always broken. You come in and things don't work. You come in and people that should be here don't show up. And you think it's just the battle's too much. So I just want to go home. <laughs> Can I tell you, that's not an option. We don't get to just leave the battle and expect victory in our life. We don't get to just go home and not fight the battles that we have. Let me just tell you something. Your marriage, your children, all these things, your, your, your job, your friendships, these are worth fighting for, but church, in one way or another, we are all in a battle. For those of us who have a personal relationship with Christ, you have not just gained salvation, but you have enlisted in the Lord's army, and there is no draft dodging once Jesus is Lord. Amen. You don't get to just kind of hide over here or hide over there. Again, you can, but don't expect victory. A lot of people are doing that now. A lot of people are maybe at church, but not at church. A lot of people are at home, but not really at home. A lot of people may have a Bible uh, sitting by their bedstand, but they're not in the Bible. A lot of people may bless the food, but they're not in communication with God. Do you understand what I'm trying to say this morning? So if we are to be in the battle, that means we must fight. And to fight is to take action. It is to follow orders from our commander that is Jesus. And the reason why so many believers, even though they possess the greatest victory ever won, the reason why so many are walking around powerless, pouting, and packed up is because we are not fighting the way we should. I want you to know something. Again, I'm not going to keep beating a dead horse about this morning. It was just a, a tough morning. And, and I tell you, I was wanting to control things. And I don't know if you are a control freak like I am, but if you want control and you feel like you need control to make something happen and you don't have control, that'll get you antsy. <laughs> right? I mean, you understand what I'm saying here. But the reason why people are, are walking around the way they are, believers, saints, children of God, the heirs of the inheritance, church, is because 
we're not fighting right. We're trying to take control of things we cannot control. We're trying to, to do things in ways that are simply not going to work. They may put a Band-Aid on it, but it's not going to work. We have given up on our marriages. We have given up on our kids. We have given up on our finances. We've given up on whatever else. We have given up and gone home. We have packed up and gone home. The military has a term for this. And the term is AWOL. Anyone ever heard of AWOL? You know, I never knew what AWOL meant. I knew, I've heard the, term, the acronym AWOL, right? And I knew what it meant, but I didn't know the exact words for it. But AWOL means this, absence without leave. If, if this AWOL, if you, if you continue this absence without leave in military perspective, if this continues and prolonged, it is actually deemed a desertion. And I don't know if you've ever watched any kind of war movies, but when people start deserting, that is the most shameful thing you can do in war. I looked this up because I got interested in it. And there was a report done by the uh, U.S. Army Intelligence or Research Institute. Uh, and it is titled Special Report 51. And it was done in August 2002. And, and, and I, I don't want you to miss... Uh, how this relates to us just because it's, a, it's, it's in certain language. So I want, you to, I want you to really understand what I'm trying to do here. This is what the forward says. This is the second uh, paragraph in the forward, and, and, and so I'm just going to read it. Although the problem of AWOL slash desertion is fairly constant, it tends to increase in magnitude during wartime. When the army tends to increase its demands for troops and to lower its enlistment standards to meet that need, it can also increase during times such as now when the army is attempting to restrict the ways that soldiers can exit service through administrative channels. Now, I want you to know, obviously, that is the U.S. Army Research Institute, and, and they're trying to figure out how they can get people to stop leaving when the battle comes. Church, there is nothing worse in a battle than a soldier's absence. I want you to know something. The reason why, have you ever heard a man, we were in the trenches together. What, what does that mean? That means that in, in the scariest time of our life, in the worst, most difficult time, when the bullets were flying over our head, I looked to my left and I looked to my right, and there were people right beside me fighting the same fight. But what happens is when you look to your left and when you look to your right and all of a sudden they're AWOL, <laughs> they've deserted. The battle got too hot. It got too close to the vest. So they left. I want you to know how silly it is. Listen to me. I want you to know how silly it is to leave a battle that's already been won. And the battle that we fight Church, listen, I know we're quiet. I'm cool with the holy hush this morning. The battle that we fight is already won. So we are going to review what our commander has told us. We're going to look at three things this morning. We're going to look at who we fight. We're going to look at how we fight. And we're going to look at why we fight. So we're going to read first verses 10 through 12 in Ephesians chapter 6. If you're there, say read. Finally, my brethren, 
Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. If you want the title, you've heard it already. Stand up in the battle. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, for this word. I thank you for your word, God. I thank you for what you put on my heart for this morning. And God, I know that the battle is hot right now. At least for me, this pastor here, the battle is hot. But Lord, I will not go AWOL. I will not desert. I will continue to fight the way you have told me to. So Lord, I pray that is our battle cry here at Cedar Grove Baptist Church. That when we look to the left and right, when the battle gets hot, that we can see our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ fighting with us. God, I thank you and I love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So let's first look at who we are fighting. It is important to know who the enemy is. Because if you don't know who the enemy is, it's very easy to do two things. Either underestimate the enemy or overestimate the enemy. I'll never forget in basketball, uh, we, would, we would get our hyped up and we would look at, at warm-ups. And I don't know if you've ever played sports or not, but uh, the coach will always yell at you, don't, don't worry about them, don't worry about them, don't look at them, we're going to play our own game. And the entire time you're like, seeing how good they are, you know what I'm saying, seeing if they're actually dunking or smacking that backboard too hard or got some handles, you know, you're just kind of trying to assess the enemy in that moment. And, and a lot of times, you, and, and at least in my short basketball career, you would find that a lot, a lot of teams, they were warm-up uh, kings. They were, they were really good at warming up. I'm talking about they get all jelly with it, you know what I'm saying? They would do reverse layups. They would smack the backboard, and it, you'd hear it and go like that right there. And they, they would, like, go up and halfway, and you can't dunk and warm up. So they would kind of, like, you know, just throw it in, and you're like, man, that dude got some jumps. And, and what it does is it intimidates you. But we really don't know who they are. We really don't know how they play. This is the first we've seen them. But you know what I love about a good coach? The coach knows. That's why he's saying, hey, don't worry about that. I've already scouted. I know what they are. This guy, he can't go left. This guy right here, he, he can jump, but that's, if you box him out, that's all he can do is jump. He's going to jump right over. You get a foul, we're going to be okay. This guy right here, listen, he may be able to shoot in warm-ups, but he's cold during the game. What they do is they know the enemy for you. Can I tell you something? Jesus knows our enemy. We don't have to sit there and underestimate him. We don't have to overestimate him. We can properly assess because God's word tells us exactly his capability. Amen, church. So we are to know who we are fighting. So we put on the whole armor of God. Why? Well, look at verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that she may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Our enemy is the devil. He is crafty. He is deceptive. He knows how to get his way in this world because he has a temporary hold on the world. He also has an army. Look at verse 12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Now I want you to understand something. There is a demonic host of Satan 
We see principalities and powers. These are angelic in nature. The ones who fell with Satan when he fell from heaven, they are also powers and rulers of the darkness of the world. Spiritual wickedness. We should know all about this. How should we know all about this? Well, if you go to Ephesians chapter 2 with me and read verses 1 through 3, it says, And he hath, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Church, listen, before Christ, you were on the enemy's side. Before Christ, I was on the enemy's side. Oh, not me, preacher. I've never been on the enemy's side. You know what a scary thing that I hear people say is? Well, preacher, in my whole life, I've always known God. No, you have not. Unless the Bible is a lie, and it is not. I want to explain something to you. There was a time to where you did not know God. You might have knew of him. You might have heard of him. You might have sang about him. You might have even read a little Bible story about him. But there was a time where you were dead in your trespasses and your sins. So when someone tells me, well, when did you get saved? I've always known God. What that tells me is this. Obviously, there's never been a transformation, a time in their life where they have confessed with their mouth the Lord Jesus, believed in their heart that God raised them from the dead and were saved. And that scares me for them. I want you to know something. Before Christ, you were on the enemy's side. You were once dead. Only master you knew was the enemy in the darkness of this world. Jesus made this clear in Matthew chapter 12. It says, he that is not with me is against me. You do realize there's only two sides in this world. Those that are with God and those that are against God. There's literally, I don't care what color they are. I don't care what language they speak. I don't care what they look like. I don't care their past. I don't care their background, their heritage, or their childhood. There are two people, two sides in this world. That's it. Uh, he, is, he that is not with me is against me. I want, I want to thank God right now that I am with God, and therefore he is with me. <laughs> and I know who we are battling. I want you to understand something. Your battles are not physical. So often we try to put physical symptoms as the actual problem. But those physical symptoms are 9.99, 10 out of 10 times due to a spiritual issue. Whatever it is in your life, whether it's your marriage, whether it's your children, whether it's your friendships, whether it's your happiness, your joy, whatever is going on in your life that's not working, there is not, you can look at the symptoms and say, oh, that's what it is. But deep down, it is a spiritual problem. Your battles are not physical. They may have physical fallout and consequences, but the battle we fight is spiritual. We must understand who we are fighting. Are you with me so far, church? Amen. Amen. We must also know how to fight. 
If you go back to Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to read verse 10 and 11 again. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. We have a strong enemy. That's why I say we are not to underestimate him or overestimate him. The enemy is strong. The enemy has been our enemy for a while. The enemy has been doing the things that he's doing for a long time. Long time. As a matter of fact, he was able to tempt the first family that was ever walking the earth. And he's been doing it ever since. He's been causing them to fall ever since. But I want you to know our commander in chief, the Lord, is stronger than our enemy. Some people believe that we are to fight in such a way that we attack Satan or advance against him. I want you to understand, have you ever heard someone say, man, I'm so excited, I'm going to rush hell with a water pistol. You ever heard that? You ever heard it? I've heard that. I've even said that. You haven't, who has not heard that saying? What? Who has heard that saying? Yeah. I'm going I'm to attack hell with a water gun, right? Let me just tell you something What's going to happen. Listen, that, that's silly. Let me just tell you something. Hey, and listen, I understand it. I get it. When we get excited, we're thinking, man, I got God on my side. Who, who, who can be against me? I don't, but, but God also gives us wisdom. God also gives us instruction. The worst thing we can do is run straight into a battle that we are not prepared for. So we better understand how God tells us to fight the battle. Again, some people think that we are to attack and advance against them. That's not what Scripture says. I, I want you to look at or just hear James 4, 7. It says, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. You know the Scripture. It says, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now, notice it does not say after that, and then chase him down and beat him up. That's not, what it, that's not what he says. It says, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Let me just tell you something. When I'm fighting the battle properly, the way God has told me to, listen, the only thing the enemy can do is flee. Rather, we are to stand or hold the territory Christ and his body has conquered already. How do you get rid of darkness? Now, I have, I have this illustration. I'm going to give you two variations of this illustration because I thought of another one while I was looking at it, okay? They're going to both work, so just bear with me. But how do you get rid of darkness? In your house, in your home, let's just talk practical for a second. If it's dark, how do you get rid of it? Well, you don't attack a dark room by running full speed, waving a sword. I mean, could you imagine a side of that? Just going into a dark room, someone's going to get hurt. It's probably going to be you. No, 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 you, you don't do that. You turn on the light. Because if you don't, again, you could get hurt. As a matter of fact, we were talking, and, uh, and this, is, this is where I want everyone to, to, to really pay attention. I forget who we were talking about. We were talking about if someone ever broke in our, our homes or whatever. And I know there is, a, there is a, uh, a, a perspective that here in the South, Right, people just look forward to people breaking into their homes because they wake up. You know, you you see, they wake up and say, "Oh, today is the day." Right? You get to grab your gun, you get to do it. But here's the thing: here's here's the long and the short of it. Okay? Here's what's gonna happen if someone breaks in your home. You're gonna be scared to death. Okay? I don't care what kind of gun you have. Listen, and maybe maybe y'all built different. But if someone's up in my home, I am nervous. 
right? I'm shaking a little bit. Like, I'm not just be like, hey, man, it's my house. I'm not, that's not how I do things. As a matter of fact, the, if it's just a little sound, I, I lay in bed till it goes away. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it just, like, I'm not just going to get up. I am not replaceable, people. Everything outside, well, except for my kids. The kids, I have to, man, that makes things complicated, don't it? Because they're on the other side of the house. I'm going to have to get up and, and kill somebody. But anyway, so, so listen, but for real, we were talking about this, and you know, I, I, and in my mind, before someone said this, it was like, man, hey, could you imagine, you know, you got, you got your stuff ready, and, and you go in, and you, you turn on the light, and you're like, sucker, and you're boom, 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 and then, uh, no, you don't do that. You don't do that. See, what you do when someone breaks in your house is you don't turn the lights on. Why? Because you know your home better than he does, or she, I guess, you know, if a woman wants to break in. I wouldn't want them to, but anyway, right? So, so, so. You know the house better than it. So, so you know all where the couches are. You know where that little column is that you stub your toe and you go get a drink. You know all these things. So you don't turn on a light because you know the house better than whoever's breaking in. Let's twist this spiritually. Let's turn this spiritually. A lot of people, a lot of people are fighting this fight the wrong way in such a way that you have allowed the enemy into your home. And now your home is full of darkness. And guess what? The enemy knows your home better than you do. So how do you get rid of that? You turn on the light. You introduce Jesus. You, re- you submit to God, resist him, and the Bible says he must flee. Don't miss this. As Christians, we are to hold the territory by standing up to evil, but to expand the territory, we are to spread the gospel. The more saved, the more lights get turned on. The more people that we go to with the good news and they receive the the word with gladness and they are born again, the more lights we get in a dark place. I want you to know something. When When I first got here, this parking lot was so dark. I'm talking about there was not a light to be found. And as the Cedar Grove way goes, all the lights in the building were, what do you think they were? Broken. So anyway, so, so it was just dark. And man, I'm telling you, people would come and they would park and they'd do, the, they'd do whatever they were doing. You know what I'm saying? It would just be a disgrace. And I'm sitting there thinking, man, I can't even get to my car and I can't see nothing. And not only that, it was a little bit scary, you know what I'm saying? Because, you know, we up here all alone and, and I used to have to work at night in the church. If you had not never been to church at night by yourself, you don't understand <laughs> how much you got to cling to Jesus. Because in those moments when you walk into your car, you better trust him. But anyway, it was dark. Well, what do we do? We, we, we didn't just stay in the darkness. We didn't just continue to allow those things to happen. We put up a light. And we, and we, we guess what happened? We, we like that light. Well, I mean, that light works. That's pretty cool. Look, we can see right here in this little, this little area. We can see. So guess what we did? We put up another light. And we like that light too. And then all of a sudden, guess what we have now? A football stadium looking. Man, if you come, if you come in at nighttime and you come down this hill, you see this, it's like, why? Because the light is how you fight darkness. You turn on, you put up a light. And the way we expand the light again 
is by sharing the gospel to whomever will receive. But the devil's schemes are proven. They work if we're not careful. And that's where the armor comes in. Now, since we know the enemy is strong, uh, it it takes a very strong armor. So we're going to read about this armor right here. We're going to read verses 13 through 17. Again, a very familiar text. It says this, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. How do we prepare for victory? Well, let's look at this. First off, you must have truth and integrity. This is what holds all of it together. We wear truth as a belt. As a matter of fact, a Roman soldier would understand the importance of the belt around their waist. It kept everything on. It, kept, it gave them freedom to move. He could hang his weapons from it. I, I don't know about you, but, and, and some people, I guess, like the style, but, man, there's nothing worse than saggy pants. Any of you ever wore saggy pants? Any of you have pants you forgot a belt? My goodness, y'all so self-righteous. Listen, I, I've forgotten a belt before, and what do you do? You, you constantly pull up your pants, right? Because there's nothing worse than say, well, I mean, what if you got to run from something? Just, it's, not a, it's not a good look, and it's not a good strategy. You know what I'm saying? But listen, hey, the belt keeps things in place. The belt keeps everything to where you can move freely. Right? Look, look at some of my weapons. I got a, I got a, a, a microphone. I got some in it. Like, it. It allows us to hang what we need from it. That's what a belt, that's the truth. See, listen, if you are not living on the truth, then everything else is going to fall apart. If you are not founded upon God's word, I'm talking about non-compromising, then everything else is going to be compromised. We see it all the time in our church family. People don't like what it says, so they go and they go find another truth. Let me just tell you something. Another truth is a false gospel. God says, don't you do that. (laughs) Stay with what is true. That is how truth serves in a believer's life. Then we have the breastplate of righteousness. This is not just justifying righteousness, but also sanctifying righteousness. When we practice righteousness in our life, we protect ourselves from attack. You do understand a lot of people, there, there, there is a, there is a, a spectrum here of, of beliefs. One belief, they say, well, look, hey, man, it's grace, 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 grace. So, so righteousness, they take that our righteousness is filthy rags, and they take it to such a point to where righteousness is not really needed. As long as God, as you love God, and as, as long as you, you, know, you, you have good intentions and whatever it is, you can basically do what you want. As a matter of fact, you can live whatever lifestyle you want. You are welcome here. That's one end of the spectrum. Let me just tell you something. That's not what God meant by grace. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that it, Jesus said this himself, if you love me, what? Keep my commandments. Live in my righteousness. But there's another side, right? There, there's one side, then there's the other side. Then they, they, they say, if you don't do this, 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 and this, then, then, then you can't be saved. Or, or if you don't continue in this and you don't continue in that, whatever it is. And listen, both of them, both of them have good intentions, both of them, they see, one sees grace in, in such a way, one sees the law in such a way. If we could just meet in the middle and understand 
that we live by grace, yes. But by loving God, how we show that is by obedience to God. That's the only way to show it. You can't, hear me, you cannot love God, truly love him without keeping his commandments. That'd take a lot of people out of commission, won't it? Not just the commandments that you want to keep, but his commandments. Look at verse 15. And your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. See, the gospel gives us peace and stability to be able to stand in the battle. Why? Because our, our eternal security is in the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. And he is now keeping us, the earnest payment being the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 16. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith he shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Our faith is the shield that can extinguish the fiery darts the devil sends away. How does that look? Well, let me just tell you something. I've, had, I've, I've, I've seen this happen in my own life, in my own ministry, right? You come in, and man, there's fiery dart after fiery dart after fiery dart after fiery dart after fiery stinking dart. Then all of a sudden you think, man, I can't do this. This is not going to work. But all of a sudden you think, hold on. I'm supposed to live by faith. It's not what I can do. It's what he plans to do through me. So therefore, you put on that shield of faith and all those fiery darts don't matter anymore. Isn't that good stuff right there? Some of y'all might be missing this, and that's okay because it'll be on our YouTube channel, and you should subscribe. Amen? Amen. All right. That was a nice little, you know, plug-in right there. Look at verse 17. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, our salvation ensures us that no matter the attack, no matter the force, no matter the enemy, we are safe. We are secured in Christ. Listen, I used to be real competitive. Used to is actually an honest assessment. Some of y'all think that I'm still real competitive, but I'm really not. I just like to win. Amen? Any of you like to lose? That would be a loser. I'm just going to be honest with you. If you like to lose, you're a loser. But anyway... So I like to win, and, and, but now, you know, before, man, I would go up against anybody and anything, and I would expect victory. I don't care how tall they were. People say, man, he's tall. Yeah, he'll jump. Whoop, gone. Bucket. You know what I'm saying? I, don't, I didn't care what it was, right? I, I, would, I would expect victory no matter who I was playing against. But now I've gotten a little bit older, and now I still expect victory, but I pick my battles a little bit better. You understand what I'm saying? Someone say, hey, come play me. No, <laughs> no, no. Then the little guy come, hey, hey, you want to play one-on-one? Yeah. <laughs> Let's back him down. You know what I'm saying? I'll tell you this just real quick. I was, because uh, um, some of y'all falling asleep, so let me just kind of maybe talk about something other than the Lord. You might wake up. My goodness gracious. But anyway, um, we were, I was at the gym yesterday, and man, I was, I was just hyped up, you know, and, and uh, I'm not used to what happened, but, but one of these young guys uh, came to the young guy beside me, and, uh, and they said, hey, man, you want to come and play some pickleball? And, uh, and so instantly I'm thinking, I want to play some pickleball. You know what I'm saying? And I'm used to, like, you know, being invited. So I turned to him. It's the most awkward thing. I thought it, I knew this guy. So I thought he was going to do what I thought he would do as a friend. And so I took my AirPod. I was like, oh, you're playing pickleball, are you? I, did. I said, man, I got a bag, a bunch of paddles. I got some ball. Like, you know, we can go play. Literally, I, I kid you not. Let me tell you what happened. This dude said, oh, cool, and started the conversation back with the other guy, and I stood there like, but I want to play pickleball. 
<laughs> I don't know where that came from, but let me just tell you something. I was ready to fight, but you got to pick your battles because this dude was really ripped. You know what I'm saying? So, but anyway, listen, we take the helmet of salvation, right? We, we, we can go into battle no matter how hard the battle is, no matter how difficult the battle is. We don't have to pick and choose the way I was explaining. Why? Because we have eternal security in Christ. We can fight from victory, not for victory. How about the sword of the spirit? Well, everything up to this point has been defensive. Right? Everything is to, is to uh, keep the offense away, right? To protect you from the attack. But a sword is offensive. When the enemy comes and attacks you, lies to you about your marriage, lies to you about your kids, lies to you about your money, lies to you about your ministry or your job or your time, we fight back how Jesus did in the wilderness. How did he fight back the devil himself in the wilderness? Through God's word. A soldier would never go to battle without their sword, ever. That, that would basically be accepting defeat. So why do we so often go without our sword? I want us to go back to verse 11 real quick. Shouldn't be too far away, but look, look at the beginning of that. We, we talked about that, and, and I could have gone in a lot more detail, but for Tom's sake, that's a whole other message, of course. But look at verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God. Put on the what? Whole armor of God. Now, now turn back to verse 13. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God. If there's a word that sticks out, you should already know what I'm about to say here. It should be whole. Church, listen to me. You will not stand in the battle if you do not have every piece of the armor on. See, what we have done is we have ran or either ran away or we're trying to fight the battle, but we have vulnerabilities. Notice that 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 covers, if you look at a Roman soldier, that covers every part that needed covering. It was their armor, the whole armor of God. We have to have all of it. Truth, righteousness, gospel of peace, faith, salvation, the word. Let me make it simpler. To stand in this battle, we must put on Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, Romans 13 says this, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. We are to put on Jesus. So we have learned who we fight. We have learned how we are to fight. Now, pretty important why we are to fight. Look at verse 18 through 20. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And for me, that utterance may be given unto me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in bonds that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Paul tells the saints in Ephesus, pray always, watch each other, Pray for me. Why did Paul need prayer? Well, he he tells us why he needed prayer. To speak boldly in order to make the gospel known. Did you know that armies still still use, certain armies still use battle cries? I don't know about you, but there's just something about that movie scene that right before the battle... Now, you, typically, it's, a, it's more of a medieval kind of battle with swords and stuff. But when that one commander lifts up his sword, 
and just gives a big old shout. And then what does everyone else do? They lift up their swords and they shout with them. And let me just tell you something. That ain't mo- in that moment, it's as if I could pick up a sword and fight with them. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, it's, it's passion. It's motivating. It's determining. They may be riding right to their death, but they're going to do it boldly. But many armies still use battle cries. Battle cries are used to motivate the soldiers in unity as they enter the heat of the battle. Did you know that the Lord's army has a battle cry? We have a battle cry. You do understand that we have different variations of battle cries. You know our praise is a battle cry. When we lift up the name of Jesus, that's a battle cry. That's saying, hey, whatever comes our way, we know who has us held in his hands. That's why when I see a church that does not sing, that does not lift up the name of Jesus, that stands there looking all sour and pouty, it makes me wonder if we're really truly prepared for the battle. Let me just tell you something. You want to freak the enemy out? Have a singing army. (laughs) But not only that, we have another battle cry, and that is that Jesus lived, Jesus died, Jesus rose, and Jesus is coming back. Our battle cry, church, is the gospel. Maybe that's why so many of God's army has gone AWOL. We have forgotten our battle cry. What we've done is we've allowed a few of the soldiers to look into the enemy's face and fight and stand. And we, and we think that we, at one time we were interlocking our shields of faith. What I, another thing I love about uh, the, the, the whole format of the shield is because the way it was built in, in many times, they would put it up and they'd make a shield wall. They'd have a shield, just, just shield after shield after shield that would protect people from arrows, that would protect people from the people that was coming and attacking them. But let me just tell you something. What happened? When one fell or when one went, guess what happened? One filled right back in. Why? Because they got to keep the wall strong. But see, what the worst thing that can happen in that kind of situation is as we're standing there holding the ground that God has given us, holding, holding the ground in our families, holding the ground in our marriages, holding the ground in our finances, holding the ground in our ministries, in our jobs, whatever it may be in your life, as we're holding the ground and we look and we see people just deserting, deserting. Dropping their shields of faith and running as fast as they can away from the battle. Not only does that weaken that army, but at one time as they were shouting their battle cry together, and they had that confidence and boldness that, hey, no matter what the enemy puts out our way, we can defeat him. Now they're thinking, maybe we can't. Maybe we are too weak. Maybe. Maybe there's not enough. Maybe, maybe, we need to, maybe we need to just pack up our things and go home and, and maybe just live to fight another day. Could it be that our personal battles you face, that you feel that you are losing, have you forgotten your battle cry? Sometimes... My battle cry is very simple. In the heat of the battle, I don't know what else to say, but Jesus, help me. I'm just going to be transparent as I see people deserting, going AWOL. I don't know what else to say, but Jesus, help me. 
Because, God, I refuse to drop my shield of faith. I refuse to take off this breastplate of righteousness. I refuse to take off my belt and to compromise the truth. I refuse to take off my, 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 my shoes and, and, and to, to lose the peace of the gospel. I refuse to take off my helmet and I will not drop my sword because the battle's already won. Are you fully armored this morning? Are you willing to stand and hold the ground that God has conquered for us? Or are you AWOL? I want you to hear me. We need everyone in the army to stand up. Listen, you know what's so beautiful about the Lord's army? Back in the day, now I'm just going off of some history and some movies, so bear with me here. Back in the day, you saw a deserter. You know what you did? You shot him. If they weren't willing to fight, you... You ended it. See, that's not how the Lord's army works. Thank God for a lot of people. I'd be carrying something here just pew, as they go. No, no, that's not how the Lord's army works. So you can go AWOL. You can even desert. But the good thing is we are united by grace. <laughs> and see, you can come back home just like the prodigal son came home. After shaming his father, after living in filth and wickedness and violence and just in the pig pen of life, you know what he did? Hey, he came back home and he's welcomed back home. I want you to know something. As much as some people have hurt us, as much as some people have hurt you personally, have hurt me personally, they've gone AWOL, they deserted. When the battle got hot, they left. You know what's so beautiful about the Lord's army is they can come back, they can grab this shield of faith, and they can get back interlocked. Today, have you gone AWOL? Are you right on the cusp of deserting? Maybe your spouse has gone AWOL. Maybe your kids have gone AWOL. Maybe your friend that used to sit beside you in church, you look to them and they have deserted. You know what we can do? And God's put this on my heart because so often I get angry at the people that desert. I get confused. I, I get, how in the world could they? But you know what? Very rarely I do. I, I very rarely pray for them. God, restore them. God, bring them back. And until then, let us who are here that are standing, that are holding the ground, let us continue to interlock our shields of faith so that whatever the enemy throws our way, it won't work. But heads bowed and eyes closed all over this place.